You're listening to the Promise Church's Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Scott McNamara. For more information about who we are, please visit us at thepromisechurch.com. How you doing? How you doing? Doing good? Okay, who's ready? We're going to have a good time. I feel more awake. I have to sit, don't tell this to the first service, but I prefer the second service. I always wake up a bit more as you're on the second one. So I'm excited what the Lord's going to do. Let's pray and then we'll jump in. Holy Spirit, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for the message that we're going to hear this morning. Thank you that you're burning something on my heart, Lord. I just pray that you'd help me to convey it in a way that brings you glory. We love you, Jesus. We praise you. ask you, uh, Lord, that you would rest upon every single individual in this place, that you'd open their hearts to receive the word that you want to imprint and and impregnate upon their hearts this morning. We give you all the glory and all the praise. And Lord, I ask you that you would bring a man like Josiah for one of my daughters to marry when they're older. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on. Okay. Sorry, a little selfish bit at the end there. Our talk this morning is called Love Can Be Measured by How Much It Cost You. There you go. Thank you. I had to do it in the mic. You see, is what it was. So this word here, this phrase here, love can be measured by how much it costs you, was given to me by the Holy Spirit. I, didn't, I wasn't praying. I wasn't fasting. I wasn't seeking God. But it was profound, and it really affected my life. I'd been reaching out to a gentleman who was in a difficult situation. He was a meth addict. I found him on the bridge of Portland, about to jump over the bridge and end his life. Brought him to uh, put him in a motel, then brought him to this church, had nowhere to put him. So I said, Jeffrey, can we put him in, in our house? This is before my family moved here. Jeffrey was living in our future home. And he said, yes. So we brought him into our home and, and I was tired. I'd been uh, speaking at a conference. I didn't really want to do it, if I'm honest. The guy's a little bit crazy. And I'm like, you know, but what do we do? Anyway, so I, got, I bring him into the home and I'm like, Lord, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm exhausted here. And as I'm in the bathroom, the Holy Spirit speaks these words to me. It's clear. His day. Love can be measured by how much it costs you. And it really affected me because I realized that what God was asking me was for more, for a greater measure of love. And you know, love is a funny word. Love is a four-letter word that has been diluted by our society. You know, we're a, we're a culture, a pop culture has kind of, um, it's almost like abused this word. So the word has been force-fed to us through media, it's like a, through Hollywood, Bollywood, like superficiality, there's this kind of diluting of the word where it's just a, it's a pop song or it's a romantic movie. It's, it holds no weight anymore. You know, even in our relationships, we don't feel in love anymore, so we, we move on. We just walk away. I'm not, I don't feel in love anymore. You know, so we, we're not holding the word love as it should be held. I want to just, uh, just to back that up, what I'm saying, so it's not my crazy idea. I'm going to name a few movies here and a few songs with the word love in them. Crazy Stupid Love. All you women have seen that. If you're a man, don't watch it. Put you to sleep. Eat, Pray, Love. Addicted to Love. My Summer of Love. Can't Buy Me Love. And we have songs, The, the Look of Love. I Feel Like Making Love, which none of you would do. Skinny Love. It's Only Love. Crazy Love. Tainted Love. You Can't Hurry Love. Love Hurts. Love Bites. Love is the drug, love will tear us apart, love in an elevator. Too much love will kill you, I just call to say I love you. We've made this word love just a throwaway word. 
And what is love? Well, love is a verb, so it's a doing word. So whenever you do something, it costs you. To do something, it costs you. I do the dishes for my wife, sometimes begrudgingly, sometimes happily. But what am I doing? I'm giving my energy by doing the dishes. I buy my wife flowers. What am I doing? I'm, it's costing me money. It's costing me time. It's costing me money. I take her out for a meal. It's costing me money. It's costing me time. I bath the kids. What I do, whatever I'm going to do, I'm trying to be a good dad. It's costing me in some way. Everything we do in love costs us. But what is the measure of that cost? I remember when I, was in, I went to jail in, in Ireland visiting. And... Uh, and we put on a, an event there during the filming of Finger of God 2. And we were in the, in the jail and there's a lot of like pressure. The cameras are on and all this kind of thing. And I'm sitting there. Brian Head Walsh from the rock band Corn is sharing his testimony. I'm sitting down waiting to do my part. And suddenly the Holy Spirit speaks to me in a moment of, let me show it. Let me see a greater measure. This moment of I want you to measure your love. Give your new sneakers, your new trainers, give them to one of the prisoners. Now, these, these trainers, we come trainers, sneakers, tennis shoes, whatever you guys call them. Well, for, my, for me, they were like my brand new ones. They were like white Nikes that I'd got when I was visiting America. Cost me a lot of money. These things were slick. Now, they were even more special because nobody in Ireland had them because they were like from America, you know. So I've got these lovely new trainers. I'm like, you know, wearing them for the video. I'm like, everyone's going to see me in Finger of God too. They're going to be loving my, my shoes, you know what I mean? And uh, forgive me for the vanity, uh, but I'm into fashion. You're like, really? Yes. Blame Jeremy Lamb. So anyway, I'm in the prison and I'm like, okay, the Lord's like, give your, give your shoes to somebody. I'm like, God, how am I going to, what? And I'm thinking all these things, you see, if we act on that, that nudge of love, if we act in our initial response, it will be good. But the longer you sit with it and question it, then all sorts of other responses come in. And I'm thinking, well, it's going to look manufactured. You know, it looks like fake. The cameras are on and I'm handing my shoes. And, and the Lord's like, just do it. Just do it. Just do it. So I walk up to a guy and said, look, God's told me to give you my, my, my shoes, my trainers. Now, what was the cost for me to give my lovely new white Nikes? Well, the cost was financial cost. But the other cost was I had to walk home in socks. Actually, I had to walk through the prison and drive home in socks. So that was the other cost. Now... On the grand scheme of things, it's not that big a cost. But to me, in that moment, it was a cost. But then, I want to read you another example of, of the different levels of cost. So I came across this story here from a few years ago, um, a true story about a, a guy called Philip Wilson. After a fire broke out in a Detroit high-rise building, the handyman, Philip Wilson, he ran up the stairs instead of down to see if anyone was trapped. Wilson broke down the door, and while the fire was, uh, and where the fire was coming from and saw a woman engulfed in smoke crawling on her knees on the floor. Wilson picked up the woman and carried her outside to safety. Now, Wilson's cost, measure of cost, was greater than mine. You see, he risked his life. That was his cost. And I, my cost was to give up my trainers. So there's different levels of love. You see, love can be measured by how much it costs you. What is the measure of God's love? I want to read John 3.16. Everyone probably knows that verse. You maybe have a bookmark, a fridge magnet. John 3.16 is like super famous, yeah? Let's read it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, I don't know why I'm reading that, I know. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life or eternal life. You guys familiar with that scripture? This is what could be called the bedrock evangelism gospel uh, passage, John 3.16. 
So how do we know God's measure of love? Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're like, listen, man, I don't know what you're saying. You've got a funny accent, you wear funny clothes, and I'm not really into God like you are. Man, I've been through some stuff, I've done some stuff. I don't even know if God would, would forgive me. Well, what I want to ask you to do right now in this moment, and this is a good exercise, <clears throat> this is what I tell our new believers. So I want you to do this. I want you to picture in your mind the worst thing you've ever done in your past, the worst thing you've ever done, worst thing. So just go there in your mind, unless you're super holy and you're like, there's nothing here. I'm sure we can find something. So you picture that thing in your mind, okay? The worst thing you've ever done. This is what happened. Jesus hung on the cross. He saw what you were going to do, and he said, it's okay. I'm going to pay for it. How do we know what God's measure of love is? I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you how you know it. It looks like this. The measure of his love for you is this. What is this? It's the cross. And what, it, what he did was open up his arms and say to all of the world, I'm going to bring you in. Everybody, this is an all-inclusive gospel. There is no one that's getting left out. This is for the good, the bad, and the ugly. If you're a sinner, it's for you. Turn to your person on your left and say, I think he's talking about you. Now turn to the person on your right and say, I'm only playing. He's really talking about you. Now, no matter what level of holiness uh, you, you've acquired, you, you know what I'm talking about when you were a sinner. Some of you guys still are in terms of, you know, and we all make mistakes. I'm talking about being bound by sin. If you don't know Jesus, then you're living a life that's sinful. So what happened is God sent his son to love without measure. He counted the ultimate cost, opened his arms and said, here I am. So I want to read another verse here. This comes in John, uh, John chapter 15, verse 13 says this. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now, you know, you could think to yourself, when you look at John 3, 16, you could think God so loved the world, he gave his only son for whoever believes in him. So he gave his son for those that believe. He gave his son for those that pray, those that go to church. But he didn't. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So loved the world. He so loved everybody. So that, that means no matter what position or place you're in in your life right now, he gave without measure for you, which is incredible. So I believe Jesus demonstrated what, what love without measure looks like. Because Jesus will never tell you to do something without first demonstrating what it looks like. And he demonstrated it when he hung on that cross. It's incredible. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says this, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now that's incredible because you can get yourself cleaned up. I meet many people and they're like, man, I'm clean. I'm not on drugs anymore. I'm not drinking anymore. You know, I'm working. I'm holding down a job. I'm looking after my family. But they still haven't had their sins washed clean. So they're living a good life, but they haven't had their sins washed clean. And what Jesus did, he died, not just for the person in that position, but before the person got themselves clean, Jesus died for them in that position. He said he died while you were still in the thick of your mess, which is why I got you to imagine that, that place, because I want you to see that it was in that place of your worst regret, your worst moment of remorse. It was then that he measured his love. Not when you're all nice and clean and neat and tidy, but in the place when you were at your dirtiest, he hung and he said, you want to see what the measure of God's love looks like? Here you go. That's real love. It's not a pop song. It's not a romantic movie. It's not a little fuzzy feeling at the end of a film. It's, 
cross. It's real. In John chapter 13, verse 34, we read a profound scripture. A scripture that is going to shake you to the core if you have ears or a beating heart. That's what it says. Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this we will know, uh, they will all know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So what does that mean? A new commandment. Okay, so this is something a bit different from what everybody's teaching. If you love one another as I have loved you. Now you can skim over that and think, yes, Lord, yeah, I'm going to love my neighbor. But I mean, what is Jesus saying? Love one another as, as I've loved you. Well, we just talked about how he has loved you so, so much. How he loved the world like this. So what did he do? He gave his life for you. He gave his life in your place. Would you agree? That was what the cross was. So we can look at Jesus and say, well, he's Jesus, he's God. That's a, that's a God thing. That's a God measure of love. But actually Jesus is like, no, no, this is your measure. As my followers, as my people, then I'm asking you to do what I did. Now that's a, that's a high bar if we take it seriously. But I want to read to you some inspiring stories and tell you some inspiring stories of men who have really counted this cost. Just regular people. Do you know we're all regular people? Do you know there are no superstars in the kingdom of God? We're just regular people. Some, some are more surrendered to his will, but we are just regular folks, all just trying to love him, trying to love each other. I want to read this story to you guys. It's, called, um, it's a story of a man called Maximilian Colby. I think we have a picture. This is the man here. Maximilian Colby. In 1941, during World War II, this man, he's a 47-year-old Catholic priest. He was sent to Auschwitz in Poland during the World War II concentration camps. They put him in the concentration camp for his faith. He used to get beaten up all the time. The prisoners took such pity on him, they would um, have him taken to the, uh, to the hospital, the, the on-site hospital, because people would just abuse him and, and beat him up and things like that. He was a strong man of faith. And during, uh, during one of these uh, afternoons, one of the prisoners from his, his uh, cell, his, his uh, bunker area, um, his block, sorry, broke out of the prison. He was in block 14 and one man escaped. Now this was an embarrassment to the SS officers. They take pride in their punishment. And one man escaped and what they did, the SS officer, he gathered a hundred men from Maximilian Colby's block, from block 14, and he lined them all up, all hundred men. And he said, for your treachery, we are going to punish uh, ten men. I'm going to choose ten men at random. And these ten men will be... Uh, will suffer the bunkers of death. What they would do, they would put you in this bunker and they would leave you with no food or no water until you die. So the man, the SS officer, this evil man, he was very notorious. He walked around and he picked at random. You. You. I mean, imagine that. Imagine for those, for those prisoners. Just like, like a lottery of, of death. So they picked the 10 men and, and he lined them all up. And just as a footnote to show that how evil this, officer, this SS officer was, during Christmas they would put up a Christmas tree and they would make fun of the Jews. They would put the dead, uh, the dead Jewish bodies under the tree to mock the people. This is the kind of officer this guy was. So he lined up all the 10 people and he, sa and he said, okay, now you're going to go to uh, await your death in this bunker of death. And as this was happening, one of the men fell to his knees. His name was Francis. He said, please, no, I have a wife. 
I have two sons, please. I don't want to, I want to see my wife and sons again. He began to cry out to this merciless officer. The officer paid no attention. And as the men were being dragged away, this man stood up. He walked towards the SS officer, past the dogs, past the guards, and he walked straight to the officer. He said, give my life for his life. And what's crazy is that the officer agreed to it. There was accounts, for, uh, written accounts from people who were prisoners in this camp who witnessed firsthand this story and they retold it. They said in this moment was a crazy kingdom moment. They said that when the man, this priest approached the SS officer, he began to tremble. You see, he didn't look much, but let me tell you, the one he serves, he looks much. You see, even to an SS officer who had the, the power to just kill him, he walked over in love. Love is the greatest power in the universe. And what did he do? He demonstrated the greatest measure of love. He was exchanged for Francis. Francis went free and Maximilian went to his death. He went into the bunker. You know what he did? He spent the time every day praying and praising in that bunker of death. Two weeks went by, the SS officer came, the agent of death, he came to see who was, uh, who was dead and, and to clean up the, the remains. He walked in, all nine men were dead, apart from, France, apart from uh, Maximilian, he was still alive. And they administered the lethal injection of carbolic uh, acid to kill him, to finish him off. What a sacrifice, what a measure of love for a stranger. That is what you call greater love. Greater love to lay down your life for a friend. And he didn't even know the guy. Isn't that inspiring? I have another story for you guys. It's, this happened on the Jan January 13th, 1982. Air flight Florida 90 took off from Washington, D.C. As it took off, the, the winter was so bad that the, um, the, the engines got iced up and the plane came crashing down before it, just before it even, uh, just after it took off. Came crashing down in the Potomac River. It was iced over and the plane crashed at an enormous speed, went straight down into the water. Nobody thought anyone would survive. It clipped 14th bridge as it came down and four people in the cars were also died during the crash, also died. The plane went right down and miraculously six bodies uh, bobbed to the surface alive, six people alive. From the plane that went down, six people came to the surface, everybody else was gone. And the helicopter, they were able to get a helicopter to rescue after 20 minutes because the conditions were so bad, they didn't know how they were going to rescue. And an ex-Vietnam veteran offered to fly a, a, a small helicopter, and he dropped down a lifeline. During this moment, yeah, we have the moment here, so here's the helicopter. Now, what happened was, as they let down the lifeline, they let it down to a, a man, a gentleman. His name was Arland Williams. And as they gave him the, uh, the, the lifeline, he grabbed a hold of it. He swam and he clipped somebody else into the lifeline. The helicopter hoisted the person up to safety. The helicopter came back, back to Arland Williams to give him the lifeline. You know what he did? The same thing, he swam. He passed it on to somebody else and he would, they were elevated up to safety. He did this for five times. He rescued five people. When the helicopter came back, this man was no longer. He sunk from exhaustion. His name was Arland Williams. Nobody knew who he was at the time, so they called him the man in the water. 
You see, this whole thing was filmed live on television. It happened at 4.30 in the afternoon, on a Friday afternoon. People are eating their food, watching live on CNN, this live broadcast of people drowning from a plane crash. Because it was uh, in the kind of uh, capital, because it was in the, a built-up area. They filmed the whole thing. This man became a hero. The man in the water. Arland Williams, he was a 47-year-old banker. He doesn't look like a hero. I want to tell you this, you're sitting next to a potential hero right now. Do you know why? Because you have the power to save somebody's life. That power has been given to you. It was demonstrated by the Son of God. And what's beautiful about it is that anybody can do it. Some of my heroes are the most unlikely people. Because they're just people who said, I'm going to do what you did. It's inspiring. And the next slide. This is, this is the gentleman. Yeah, we, can I, we'll come back to that one after. If you can have the, uh, the army slide of the army guys. I'm going to read this story. Yeah, so this is, you guys seen Saving Private Ryan? So Captain John Miller, played by Tom Hanks. In the wake of the D-Day invasions during World War II, they took a team of uh, army rangers behind enemy lines in Normandy, France, to rescue one man. You see, his three brothers had been killed in the army um, and his, his mom was distraught. So as an act of goodwill, they, said, they sent a team of army rangers to rescue the fourth son so that his mo the mother would not have to lose four children, only three. Everybody involved couldn't understand why they would do this. Why would they risk all these men's life, lives for one man? And this is the closing scene where uh, uh, Captain Miller, they, they rescue um, Private Ryan on the right here. And this is the closing scene when Captain Miller takes his last breath and he calls him in. He says, come, come. And Private Ryan says, what, Captain, what did you say? He says, come. And he brings him in and he whispers in his ear, earn it. Earn it. Earn this. Earn this. Are we earning it? Are we loving like he loved what happens to people on the receiving end of a love without measure? What does it do to people who are loved without measure? I want to look at the man that Maximilian saved, the, the image that we saw before in the striped pajamas. This man, Francis, this was the man that Maximilian saved. He spent five years, five months, and nine days in concentration camps. He was finally reunited with his wife. His wife survived the war, but his two sons were lost. This man made it his mission in life to tell of the one who loved him without measure. He went round telling everybody everywhere. The story spread and it got to high up into the Catholic Church so much so the Pope came to the bunker. The Pope visited the bunker where this man gave his life. You see, on earth, these kind of acts are brushed under the carpet. People, people don't understand it. Why would you do that? It makes no sense in human minds. But then they see the after effect. You see, the Lord says, you humble yourself and I'll exalt you. And this man was, um, was canonized. He was made a saint. And here is Francis with Maximilian in the background. They, there was a special uh, award ceremony for him. In 1994, he visited St. Maximilian Kolbe 
Catholic Church of Houston, Texas, where he told his translator these words. I want to express my thanks for the gift of life. So long as I have breath in my lungs, I will consider it my duty to tell people about the heroic act of love by Maximilian Kolbe. He died one year later in 1995, 93 years of age, 53 years after one man said, take my life for his. 53 years of living. There's the man shortly before he died. There's a life that almost wasn't lived. But it was lived because of one man's sacrifice. It was lived because, because of one man's measure of love. Kelly Duncan, 22 years of age at the time when the man in the water clipped her into the lifeline instead of himself. She was 22 years of age. Kelly Duncan, she was the, um, the only surviving flight, um, flight attendant. This is what she said. She said, that day was a rebirth. I was a party girl the weekend before the accident. Me and some friends drank our way up and down the Florida Keys. At first, I was angry at the people on the bank who were staring helplessly at the six people clinging to the tail section. But then I felt like I felt God's presence. Duncan now works at Christ Fellowship in Miami where she ministers to children and oversees stage production. She's a believer. What happens to those where love without measure is demonstrated? What does it do to people like that? What does it do to your heart when somebody loves you without measure? Can we have the slide of James Ryan standing over the grave? This is the closing scene in Saving Private Ryan. This is what James Ryan said to the man who gave his life for him. Every day, I think about what you said to me that day on the bridge. And I've tried to live my life the best I could. I hope it was enough. I hope that at last, at least in your eyes, I've earned what you have all done for me. What will you say with your dying breath? Like Francis, what will you say when you get to the end of your life? knowing that somebody sacrificed theirs so that you could live? Will you look back and will you say, I gave it all to shout from the rooftops. I gave every breath that I had to tell the world about the one who loved me. Or will you say, I just sat quietly. I'm going to tell you this, this love isn't cheap. It's free for you, but it cost him everything. It cost heaven everything but he gave it to you because he loves you so much. You see, Jesus was Maximilian. And for some of you guys, you're awaiting certain death. And what I mean by that is I mean by eternal death. You see, one day we're all gonna close our eyes and not wake up, or we'll wake up, but we'll wake up either in heaven or hell. The Bible says this, the wages of sin is death. What does that mean? It means eternal death. Not just you die, you go to sleep forever. No, you, you stand before God with your sins and you pay for your sin. The wages of sin is death. You will then stand before God and have to give an account and you'll have to pay your own sin because you refuse Jesus' offer. But it says this, the gift of God is eternal life. 
The gift of God is eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. What does that mean? That means that it's available to you right now because he spread his arms open, spread his life and said, here's the measure of love. How do you know if you have a gift? How do you know if you belong to Jesus? How do you know where you're going in life? You know because when you get a gift, you know you have it. On Friday evening, we had some friends around and my friend Jeremy gave me this t-shirt. How do I know it's my t-shirt? Well, it was given to me as a gift. And when you receive a gift, you know you have it. So I want to ask you right now to be honest with yourself and to be honest with God. Do you know that you have the gift of eternal life? Because if you don't, Jesus, like Maximilian, is standing right close to you right now and he's saying, my life for yours. You don't have to go to that bunker of eternal doom and damnation. You don't have to go there because I'm gonna give my life for yours. It's an exchange. Do you wanna make the exchange? Like the man in the water. Jesus is in the water with you right now. I, I describe it like this, that you know we're all in the ocean of life and we're all drowning. We're all leaning on a bit of drift with you, maybe your job, maybe your relationship, your kids. So you found something in life to keep you afloat. But one day you know you're gonna sink. Now you try not to think about it. Okay, you know, don't think about dying, don't think about dying, just think positive thoughts. And then things start happening in life. People start passing away, people get sick, and you're surrounded, even if it's not you, you see people around you who are sinking, and you realize that it's gonna to happen to you one day. I'm gonna tell you this, whatever you've found to keep yourself afloat will not hold you up forever. And just like Arland Williams, Jesus is in the water with you right now. But the difference between him and the man in the water is this. Jesus doesn't take the lifeline and say, here you go, he is the lifeline. He's the everlasting lifeline. And all he says to you is get a hold of me and you'll be saved. Just grab a hold of me and it's done. It's that easy. It's that simple. And just like Private Ryan, just like Captain Miller, Jesus would say to you, now go and earn it. Go and earn it. Earn this. Make it count. I'm going to share one quick story and then we'll finish. I want you guys to know this, that this is possible for everybody. But I also want you to know the severity of life. I want you to know how fragile life is, just in case you don't already. I'm sure you do. But I want you to see that, that life is so fragile that we don't know when it's going to end. We don't know. He wasn't, Maximilian didn't know that when he woke up that morning in the concentration camp that, that he was going to spend his last two weeks in a bunker of death. He didn't know it. This man, Francis, he didn't know when he woke up in the concentration camp that he was about to die and then he would have his life spared. We don't know. This flight took off from Washington, D.C., 4 o'clock in the afternoon on the way to Florida. Everybody had plans. They're sitting next to people who are about to die before them. The plane takes off. Within minutes, they're in the water fighting for their life. They didn't know it was gonna happen. Life is fragile. I was in Ireland and I, I went to my pastor, said, will you give me, buy me a tent because I wanna go to the five worst areas in our community, what we could like projects, and we, we put our tent up and we shared the gospel. Why did we do it? I'm gonna tell you why. Because if they don't come to us, we go to them. I don't stand on the sidelines 
and watch somebody drowning and wait for them to hop, on, hop onto the shore? What did Kelly Duncan, 22-year-old drowning lady, a lady who was fighting for her life, what did she say? She says, I was angry because I looked around and they were all watching us. They were all watching us dying and nobody came. She says, I was angry. I'm going to tell you this. People are dying. People are drowning. What are you doing watching them? And we took our tent and we put it up in these estates and we just prayed that people would come and we invited people to come. One man came to the front with his brother. His brother came to Jesus six months previous. His name was Gareth and he brought his brother Stuart to the tent. Stuart would never go to church. He was a criminal, gangster, violent man in and out of prison. He, wouldn't, he had no time for God, but his brother got him to a tent. Came to the tent, I shared the gospel, a simple message. I said about Jesus dying and how his arms are open wide. If you want to accept him, come to the front. This young man, 26 years of age, he comes to the front. He stands with his head down and he began, begins to tremble as the power of God hits him and then he lets out this cry. Ah! And he begins to weep. And the moment of exchange takes place. I'm going to give my life for your life. And he began to cry. Why did he cry? If you've just been pardoned from a death sentence, you might shed a tear or two. So we cried and he gave his heart to Jesus and he began, became part of our community, our new believers group, our church community. He was a career criminal. He said, I don't live that life anymore. What, what should I do? So we got him in church volunteering. He's like hoovering and doing all these jobs. He's a big crazy dude. He's like hoovering and feather dusting and all, all these kind of jobs. He became part of our, our, our group. He said, I want to be an evangelist. I want to do what you do. So I was uh, poised to train him and his brother, and they were going to be part of our evangelism team. He says, I want to be baptized. Okay, we'll baptize you and your brother. We had all these plans of what we were going to do. Three and a half weeks had passed, and I'd been away for a week and a half, and I got onto the ferry with my wife and family. I was speaking in England, and we stepped onto the ferry, and I get a phone call. I get a phone call from my, my friend who's running our new believers group. He's crying on the phone. He said, Scott Stewart's just died. I said, what do you mean he's just died? I just saw him last week. He said he went camping with his girlfriend. He went to sleep and he never woke up. Three and a half weeks after his life had been rescued, he was dead. And I was angry and I, and I was frustrated and we didn't understand, God, how could this happen? It's so many plans, this guy was a gatekeeper. This guy was like, people were taking notice of this guy that he'd come to Jesus. It was going to take things to a new level. How could we lose him? And then the Lord showed me his mercy. His, he's so merciful that he would open his arms to a young man who's lived a crazy life, never had any time for God, and he would come and find the one. You see, God sends out rescue missions for the one, and everybody else, it sounds crazy. To everybody else, it makes no sense. Like Captain Miller. He was commissioned to take an army of rangers, army rangers, for one man. And they lost many in the process. Why? Because God cares about the one. So this man, was, this man had been radically born again. His whole family got saved. I had people messaging me on Facebook, I want the Jesus that Stuart had. You see, they didn't want religion, but they wanted life. I was asked to speak at the funeral and I came to the funeral and I shared a simple gospel. I said, raise your hand if you want Jesus at the graveside. No church. People responded and people cried as they felt that same offer, as they felt that offer of pardon, as they, they felt that lifeline being offered to them, they could feel it. 
and they responded in that moment. I want to give you a chance to respond in this moment. The young man was buried in a coffin with the t-shirts we wore on our mission with a Bible on top of him, 26 years of age. His mother came to me at the funeral and she said, Scott, with tears in her eyes, thank you, I got my son back for three and a half weeks. This is the power of the gospel. How dare we keep it to ourselves? How dare we keep it to ourselves when people are dying? We should be ashamed. We all know people who are dying. We all know people who are, who are awaiting certain death eternally. And yet we stand on the sidelines and we watch like everybody else. What I didn't tell you was that there was one man called Lenny Skutnik. He was driving home from his office job in Washington, D.C., and he spotted all the commotion. He pulled his car aside. He stood with all the other watchers and watched the six people fighting for their lives. And then he said, what are we doing? Sometimes it takes somebody to say, what are we doing? And you know what he did? He jumped in. He swam to a lady. He grabbed a hold of a lady, and he pulled her to shore and rescued her. They asked him, why did you do what you did? Why did you uh, risk your life for somebody else? He said, I was just watching and I thought somebody has to go. The Lord showed me a vision of a prison cell a number of years ago, prison corridor. It was dark, but in the prison cell, I could see men sat in their beds, on their beds, rocking with their heads in their hands in despair. The Lord said, go and take them and lead them out. So I walked and I grabbed one by the hand and I brought them out the cell. The Lord says, now the next one. And I went to the next one. They were just adjacent cells in a dark corridor. And suddenly I was hit with a wall of black darkness, demonic darkness. I was paralyzed by fear. I said, God, I can't go any further. I was so afraid. He said, keep going. Keep going, son. There's so many. And I knew that there were so many, but I couldn't see them because I couldn't even see my hand. I was so scared. It was so dark. But the Lord said, I'm with you. Keep going. But I said, God, I can't go. And then I woke up and he said this, somebody has to go. Somebody has to go was the phrase that's haunting my conscience, ringing in my ears, ringing in my heart about 10 years ago and it's never left me. Somebody has to go. You can look like an office worker, 27 years of age. You can look like a Polish priest, 49, or a banker, 47 years of age. Or you can be a young kid, but will you go? I want to ask you right now in Jesus' name, if you feel the tug of the Holy Spirit, if you don't know that you know him, if you're still uh, about to pay the wages of sin, which is your death, and you haven't received the gift of eternal life, then I want to ask you to respond. I'm going to count to three and ask you to stand to your feet. Why do I stand? Well, how can you make an exchange if you don't move? You see, Francis went this way. Francis and, Arlen, um, and Maximilian went that way. There's got to be a change. One, Jesus died on the cross for you, and the measure of his love looks like this. Two, he rose again on the third day. And three, he's at your side right now. He says, take my hand. Stand to your feet if you don't know Jesus, and you want to be stamped with eternal life, and you want to follow him. Stand, stand, stand in Jesus' name. I implore you, if you don't know him, don't miss this opportunity. Life is fragile. There are people in here who don't know Jesus. 
Life is fragile. You don't know when you're going to close your eyes on this earth. Don't miss this opportunity. If you want him, please take it. If you don't want him, that's different. But if you want him, don't let pride stand in your way. Don't let people looking at you stand in your way. Just respond. Holy Spirit, rest upon them now. Anyone in this place, let them feel your presence. Rest upon them, rest upon them. You feel a tugging in your spirit. That's Jesus. He's saying, come, 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 come to me. What are you resisting a love like this for? No one will ever love you the way he loves you. Respond. I encourage you, respond. Say, Jesus is my life. I give it all to you. Anybody else? Jesus, we thank you. We love you. Okay, now I want everyone to do something for me. I want everyone to stand to their feet. If you're here this morning and the Holy Spirit's tugging your heart because you know that you've been keeping the measure you've been given to yourself and the Lord's touching your heart and he's saying, I want you to love without measure. And not just because I'm saying it, but I mean if the Lord's touching you, you know if he's moving in your heart. If, you're, if you know that you've been keeping your, your measure of love to yourself, when he's calling you to give it away, then I want to ask you to come to the front and we're going to pray for you. If the, Lord's, if the Lord's touching your heart in this area, if you're feeling his presence in this area, and you're like, I need to give more. This is not enough. I, can't, I don't want to stand and look him in the eye knowing that this is all I gave. If this is your last breath on earth and tomorrow you stand in front of him, what are you going to say? So you just come and respond. Thank you, Jesus. And I just want to pray for, before we move on, I just want to pray for this young lady who stood to accept Christ. So I just want you to pray with me, my dear. You just, just where you are right now, you just echo these words with me. Say, Jesus, I give my heart to you. I say sorry for my sin. I choose to follow you. I make you Lord of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Okay, now you guys just come, come closer and then some of our ministry team, can we come and pray for these guys? Holy Spirit, we pray right now in Jesus' name, I ask you for your fire to fall. Lord, I pray that you would break off every fear of man in the name of Jesus. Thank you, there is nothing that can hold us back because you've said a new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. I thank you in this room right now and at the front of this altar right now, there are people who are going to rescue people and set the standard. So we pray for them right now in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask you for your fire to come and burn away their fear. For the fire to burn away the fear in the mighty name of Jesus. Let it burn. In Jesus' name. Have your way. Have your way. If, you, if the Lord's bringing something to, to your mind, I encourage you, if there's something you need to repent of, if the, even if from uh, ignoring the Holy Spirit's nudges, I, I encourage you to get your heart right with God.